0: It is a Wednesday. It is Kale & Company live here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world, around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Another uh, primary election is in the books. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, right now, uh, because he cannot make it uh, for his, uh, his rounds on the Friday Fun Bunch uh, this week, uh, we are joined now by uh, an author, athlete, activist, neat dresser, swell dancer, loves kids, cats, and dogs, doting grandfather, and uh, also, uh, by the way, president and CEO of of Northeast Delta Dental, Tom Raffio. Tom, good morning to you.
1: Good morning, and thanks for accommodating me, because Friday I have that primary role. We have board meetings that basically go from uh, Thursday all the way through noon on Friday, and we're actually doing it for the first time in, like, two and a half years in person. In person. Virtually.
0: That's the so important to, thing.
1: Exactly. So I need to be on my game, but, of course, I would love to be doing the uh, fun, fun Bunch, because, one, uh, it uh, riles up your your uh, your producer there, Cat, because you know we kind of chat right up to the last second. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I get to try when I'm in studio. I get to dodge the potholes on the way there, <laughs> and, and then too, I get to try my voice, me 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 me, because Kat, of course, is an opera singer.
0: Oh That she but, is. That she is. But thank,
1: but thank you for you know accommodating me. And uh, the other thing you forgot in the intro, you'll have to add oh. that I'm. Um, my infomercial on the, on the
0: book. Oh, you know, I I've seen the the infomercial on uh, WMUR, and uh, you do a great job, uh, John Broderick, uh, Sil Dupuy, Scott Spradling. I'll tell you, it's like you know old home week when you see uh, all those people on that uh, on that infomercial.
1: Calvary of stars. Yeah, Scott made me look good, and uh, it really was trying to get um, sm- particularly smaller employers interested in the sort of planning that we did uh, in order to be able to give back $27 million to the community during the pandemic. And it's all about planning. And as you've heard me say many times, and we we actually did plan for a pandemic, not necessarily COVID-19. So because of that planning, we were in a really great position to pivot and to thrive. And what I'm finding is that uh, smaller employers are now using the book as as a handbook for the next crisis, which I think will be more you know, cyber orientated, but who knows? You yep. know what the crisis will be, but it's all about planning. But, but uh, the funny thing is, as employ the the, the infomercial runs at odd, odd times. You know, in between a Mike Lindell commercial and Camp right. Lejeune, and Camp Lejeune, and things, things like that. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, sometimes it's real early in the morning, and like, and some of my employee colleagues who work from home, they go, they wake up, you know, and they're trying to get themselves settled. To start their routine, working from home, and then they and there I am on on the screen, and they quickly put on their bathrobe. <laughs> whatever like, well, you
0: know, what you got to do, you just have to DVR it. You know, you have to know when it's coming on, and just DVR it, and then it will be there whenever you want to see it.
1: For those nuances, that, you know, that's that, right.
0: That, yes, and there know? there are many, there are many nuances. See?
1: For example, I have found a one minute way of explaining the Baldridge framework. Most people. When they when they hear Malcolm Baldrige, they think of the guy that fell off the horse, you know, that worked for President Reagan. Right. That, in, and, indeed, that is a fact. Uh, that's plot. what
0: immediately comes to my mind.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you remember. This. So you know, Kat, you know, Kat, that Ken knows more from the sixties, seventies, and eighties than just this past week.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I've forgotten pretty much what's happened in this last week, but, <laughs> but ask me about 1967, and I can tell you chapter and verse what happened.
2: That's hilarious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, it's true.
1: 67. No, seriously. Uh, you know, on that point, then I want to get back to the Baldrige bike. But so I was watching, as you know, because we were texting. I was watching the game last night.
0: Yes, the yep. Red
1: Sox game. Yep. I know you are Fisher Cats, and I honestly. The pitching staff and some of the players. I don't know half the people on the team anymore. Whereas in '67, I can name every player, including the ones. You know, in those days, they didn't have the the way it works now, where you have ten, fifteen, twenty people coming and going during the season. They had people come in like you know, like Norm Sieberm and Jim Landis and Elston Howard. But there was, there was a handful of add-ons. But I could name every single one. But I'm I'm, I'm watching the game last night. And I'm saying. Who are these people? And then, uh, and then, in the yeah. extra inning, um, they bring in a guy that just can't even throw a strike.
0: Yeah, um, but was... uh, but but the good news is, Tom, uh, and uh, you're referring to uh, Juris Familia, who has been around the big leagues for a while, but uh, he is no longer. A member of the Red Sox, after his appearance last night against the Yankees, he has been so designated behind, for assignment, as they say.
1: Behind Bloom chewed him huh, at one, one shot, but it was ridiculous. Squ- he, I mean, the thing, here's, here's what I always told when I, I coached Babe Ruth baseball and Little League baseball, and I always told the pitchers, like particularly at that level, but even at the big league level, just throw a strike because even the best hitter, right, two out of three times gets out. So yeah. at least if you throw the ball over the middle of the plate, there's a possibility the guy will smash the ball but right at somebody and you get it out. This guy last night was throwing balls, 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 kept throwing the splitter, then dipping out. And then finally when the bases were loaded and we had to throw it right over the middle of the plate, the guy hit the bases-clearing double. So it was yeah. ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it was. But he's gone. The ridiculous. Red Sox lost uh, last night in 10 innings. Uh, and uh to to the Yankees and the series will be completed tonight at uh, at Fenway Park. And you know what I'm I'm looking forward to uh, Brian bayo I, I uh enjoy watching Brian Bayo pitch.
1: Is that is uh, I actually enjoy Scott Bayo more, but Well
0: yeah, that, that, that's that's <laughs> that's that's your issue, you know. <laughs> but
1: but, yeah. but Scott Happy Days <laughs> and Henry yeah. Winkler. He was All just right. in the news for some reason. But Henry? yeah, yeah, Henry. He yeah, was, Henry he was, was a, in the news. Yeah, he was yeah. watching it. Actually, I think he was watching a baseball game. Right. I saw it on my Facebook post. But anyway, uh-uh. um, but back to the bike model. So for the yes. people listening, so on page forty-six of my book, I describe the Baldridge performance excellence, and, and really without boring the listening audience, because I know you have. Of the 1.3 million people that live in New Hampshire, probably, I'm thinking close to a million of those listen to your show.
0: I'll take the point um, .3. I mean, really. Point yeah. point
1: .3. Okay. Uh, How about three? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> in, any, in any event. But basically, Baldridge quality is taking a holistic view of quality. So you have planning, human resource management, et cetera. But you've got to look at the total Picture. And it's a big, long criteria that you can get off the National Institute of Standards, and I'm not expecting anybody to do that. But I've kind of described it in a bicycle. So if you take, think of a bicycle, and you know, category one is you know leadership, servant leadership, what I do. Category five is is human resources management. I put it on the bike and explain it. So people tell me that they finally get it, and that's why smaller employees, employers such as Dancing Lion Chocolate and Elm Street that has like five employees. Can do the very same thing, you know, that a half billion dollar company like Delta Dental can do with 250 employees. So it's really cool, and uh, so anyway, that's what the infomercial is about. But being tucked in between, uh, you know, indoor outdoor slippers, Mike Lindell, and Camp, Le- and Camp Lejeune contamination, <laughs> you know, sometimes is a bit much. But nevertheless. Um, it's airing on WMUR, so thank you for mentioning it. Or did I mention it?
0: <laughs> I, I think you mentioned it, but that's okay. It, it's it's all right. So I just wanted to reflect a, a little bit on the uh, the baseball experience that uh, we both experienced uh, over the weekend at uh, Delta Dental Stadium, and first time they did it there, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun.
1: I enjoyed it, and it allowed, since you mentioned the doting grandfather part of me, it allowed our granddaughter to run around. But it it had all the same things that all fanatics want, which is the opportunity to get signed autographs from spaceman Bill Lee, who was decked out in sartorial splendor his, to go up. in a big his, yellow uniform.
0: Savannah Bananas uniform, yeah.
1: And he sounded, I know he had that medical issue not too long ago, but when I talked to him about it, he said, no, he was... He's fine. That it was kind of overrated, but
0: he looked good. He looked great. He looked, I, he I, you looked know, real good. I was I was surprised he was there after what we heard the previous week. Uh, I think and,
1: he could I think he could have done better than Familia last night, but I, you whatever.
0: know I have no doubt about that. He would have thrown strikes anyway.
1: Exactly, yeah. and then of course Wade Boggs, who was one of the last speakers, was there. Rico Petroselli, who was, who was also at our golf tournament Friday, the day before. Um, at Breakfast Hill, which was a huge fundraiser for the NED Foundation, our uh, Northeast Dental Foundation, which raises money for oral health for veterans. But getting back to your question, I think it was a great experience because it had the best of both worlds. If you come for autographs, you had probably an easier time to get them the way it was kind of staged. Yep. Um, if you came because you wanted to donate to uh, CHAD, Children's Hospital, Dartmouth-Hitchcock, and in, in the... Uh, Fisher cats Foundation by buying tickets you did that and then then you had the opportunity to uh, walk around and, and experience some other features and I had an opportunity for example to uh, take some batting practice and 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 then there was a feature where um, I think Bill Lee uh, pitched the governor Sanunu who had a couple of yes, good he ones did. So, yeah so, so it was good and I think it had everything so we we wanted to change it up I'm on the steering committee and and the you know the one thing is we, we, it was the crowd was probably about the same as prior years but of course in a big stadium or yeah, it's, it's a like lot more Holton,
0: spread out yep
1: yeah, yeah. It, it, you know definitely looked more spread out but i but i think we'll continue that we'll have a regroup with mike ramshaw and stephanie who uh, mike being the president of the fisher cats so we'll do a regroup but but i think the main thing is for for people to kind of get into the rhythm that the baseball dinner now is in September, not November. So I appreciate right. everybody that uh, attended uh, Saturday, as well as um, customers and brokers who attended my golf tournament on Friday. So have a fun fun time with Kitty on we'll Friday. Miss you.
0: We'll Do- miss you, Tom, Do- Tom on Friday, Do- but uh, we're going to get Rico in for the fun bunch uh, in the not too distant future.
1: Yeah, he's a great guy and don't have too much fun without me, and Send me your football questions, questions picks, and I'll, and I'll give it to
0: you via text. All Thanks, right. Ken. Thanks, Tom. Tom Raffio, Thanks. president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental. 819 is our time. Stand by. We will continue Kale & Company Live for a Wednesday, and we'll talk the primary in the next half hour right here on WKXL and NHtalkradio.com. Good morning. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, 1450 a.m. in the Concord area, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, and 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond. And uh, our guest on this portion of the show is Becky Lewis. Becky is the Director of Workforce Development at the the Community College System of New Hampshire. And Becky, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us.
2: Thank you, Ken. Great to be here.
0: So, Becky, first of all, uh, let's do the basics. Tell us about the uh, Community College System of New Hampshire and what are its uh, workforce initiatives?
2: Uh, Well, I appreciate the question. I'm really excited to be able to talk a little bit generally about um, the community college system and just kind of what we offer. I, I kind of think that it's a hidden gem in the state of New Hampshire yeah. um, in terms of, you know, being able to offer both short-term training and then also customized training to employers. So I think that's just important. Sometimes I, I wonder how many people are aware of um, just all the programs and the scope of services that we can provide.
0: Yeah, absolutely so. I I went on your website for the first time uh, this morning and saw all the opportunities that are out there for apprenticeships, and uh, that, in fact, is your website, apprenticeshipnh.com, apprenticeshipnh.com, if people want to follow along with what we're saying today, but there are so many opportunities from uh, so many different walks of life.
2: That's true. And and one of the things that I know that we're talking about today is the Apprenticeship Building America grant that we just received. And mm-hmm. so within kind of the scope of services that the community college system offers, apprenticeship is one workforce opportunity. And we're really thrilled that we have been able to receive this grant award and that we'll be able to partner um, with other entities across the state to really roll this out.
0: So we're talking about uh, a grant of $5.8 million. So how did that uh, come about?
2: Well, that's a great question. I think the community college system um, has been funded by the Department of Labor um, really over the past five years uh, Mm -hmm. to really build out registered apprenticeships across the state of New Hampshire, working closely with the Office of Apprenticeship. Um, and also with the sector partnership initiatives and other employers. So we've really laid a lot of, I think, important groundwork um, across the years. Apprenticeship is an earn and learn model. So folks can actually uh, earn a living while they're also getting some additional training to reach um, the goals and skills of a specific occupation. Uh, and really to date, we've served over a thousand apprentices across the state of New Hampshire.
0: Wow. That, that is something. Dating back to, to when? When did it all begin?
2: I think around 2017 began. We first started getting the grant funding and really rolling out everything.
0: Wow. So how did this the grant come about? Is it something that you applied for, or did it just fall from the sky or how, how did it happen?
2: Well, I would love to say that it fell <laughs> from the sky, <laughs> but we, we did, um, a pretty robust and intentional, um, process where we worked with partners all over the state, um, employers, sector partners initiative, um, other agencies, including Department of Health and Human Services, um, to really kind of talk through what would be helpful for New Hampshire. Um, and that includes the sectors that we were going to focus on. So we kind of convened, um, a meeting every other month or so, wrote the grant together. We did hire, um, some great grant writers too from New Growth Group out of Ohio who are wonderful partners and then really kind of... um submitted an application, uh, and some folks may know this, we actually weren't uh, funded under the initial award that the Department of Labor put out, but then they found an additional $50 million, and because our application was one of the higher-scoring applications, then they funded us. So it was it was really a wonderful surprise.
0: Wow, I, I guess so, $5.8 <laughs> $5. million. So uh, what will that go toward? What will that help fund?
2: So the goal of this initiative, um, and we were funded under Category 4, which is registered hubs for apprenticeships. And so it's really about building out an infrastructure across the state of New Hampshire to help expand registered apprenticeships and really provide employers with some technical assistance and tools to do that as well. Um, And the key sectors that we're going to be focusing on are um, the five – sectors already in the state. So healthcare, construction, transportation, no, healthcare, construction, hospitality, IT, and manufacturing. Um, and then we added to that list um, two additional sectors, which are transportation, logistics, and education. Um, education, obviously, because of the massive teacher shortage. So we'll be really looking at these regional hubs for different regions across the state that to, to have some technical expertise in the sectors, and then to be able to support employers in developing registered apprenticeships for each of those sectors.
0: Wow. So how do people get involved? Do you have to uh, attend a community college? Is that is that how it works? or uh, how, how do uh, the general public get involved in this program?
2: So that's a great question. You don't have to have anything to do with the community college, although the community college is kind of the, the convener um, mm-hmm. and the facilitator of this work, but... Really, you would have to um, just reach out to myself or go to our apprenticeship NH website. There is a fillable form on that site that you can kind of express if you're any kind of stakeholder across state of New Hampshire, um, an employer, a nonprofit, an apprentice, you know, anybody that's interested in learning more, fill out that form and then we can um, respond to you.
0: Yeah. so uh, what kind of uh, before you pursue opportunities uh, with with your department? Uh, What kind of an educational background uh, do you need to have? Uh, Are there any specifics? Regarding that?
2: So that's a great question. The beautiful thing about uh, apprenticeship, registered apprenticeship, is that it's really focusing on everything from pre-apprenticeships, which means it can be someone that is coming right out of high school. Um, it can be an incumbent worker who is looking to do a career change and gain some new skills or upskill in a specific area, like going from like an LNA to an LPN in healthcare. care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, there really is no prerequisite. So we can take somebody wherever they are and help them. Um, kind of move to that next step and again the focus of this particular grant is really helping employers do that so Mm -hmm. helping an employer that might have for example like a hospital that might have individuals that want to go from you know maintenance workers to clinical workforce Mm -hmm. right like how do we help people move um, along those paths and and support employers and, and helping their staff do that
0: our guest is Becky Lewis director of workforce development at the community college system of New Hampshire. And how many employers do you work with uh, throughout the state?
2: I would say, you know, well over 100. Uh Um, We received a lot of letters of support in order to um, apply for the grant. And we the other piece that I think is is good to mention is that we will um, have a a piece of the budget in the grant that we'll be looking at um, putting out an RFP process, so that employers or stakeholders can actually apply to us to receive funding to build out registered apprenticeships. And so that's something that you know we're in the startup phase of the grant, so we're we're a few months out from that, Ken. But yeah. I think hopefully by early in the new year, we would have that in place. Um, and you know that's that's part of the goal of this as well
0: yeah absolutely and 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 what a program it is and I, i'm sure there are many people listening to us this morning who had no idea that a program like this exists you know and uh, it's it's uh, terrific to know about so just go through one more time the steps people are listening they say well geez i'd like to get into the the world of hospitality let's say uh what what what's the initial step that they take
2: so, I mean, I think the first step would be to definitely reach out through the apprenticeship New uh, com website and put in an inquiry and then someone from the apprenticeship team can reach out. I mean, I will say that we do work really closely with partners all over the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are partners, whether it's um, the Department of Health and Human Services, they're um, you know, the job core workers or the individuals that help people um, through the, you know, the TANF process through New Hampshire Works. Like, you know, there's there's folks all over that can kind of help connect us back to, you know, connect people back to us. Um, But certainly, like, the website is an initial place that people can go. um, And then we can help make connections from there.
0: So does this apply to uh, any age group at all? Or is there an age restriction?
2: Uh... So... There are some age restrictions um, for registered apprenticeships. For pre-apprenticeships, it is open to anybody. Um, And again, some of that are our primary purpose with the funding that we have now. We do have um, a large number of apprentices that we hope to enroll in these programs. But the primary kind of effort or function of these dollars will go to helping employers build this out. Um, on their own, so there definitely will be outreach um, to apprentices, but the bulk of the outreach will be focused on outreach to employers.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and is there a cost to people pursuing these opportunities?
2: the The way that an apprenticeship works is that it's basically set up as again an earn and learn opportunity. So mm-hmm. you're you're a paid employee of the company. Okay. Um. There's a minimum of hours you have to complete on the job training, there's related instruction that you complete, which typically we try to provide through the community college system, but sometimes there's other entities that can provide that as well. Um, and then when you complete a minimum of 2,000 hours and a certain number of hours of related instruction, then you receive a, a certificate of completion for the apprenticeship. Um, so. I think maybe I forgot your question, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but uh, but it's pretty much open to anyone, and it's uh, and it does it does not cost uh, money. Uh, uh,
2: the, so that was the question about yeah, the cost. Yeah, so right. the uh, the cost is there is some cost often for the related instruction because often can be like a course that people have to complete. Right. What we do now is some of our current apprenticeship grants have scholarship dollars okay. that can cover that yeah. cost. Um, or there also can be funding that employers can get reimbursed through the New Hampshire Job Training Fund to cover that cost. So there is a cost, but typically through Job Training Fund grants, we owe a dollars. We can cover those costs.
0: Well, wow. it's it's a terrific program, and, and one that I'm sure many are just learning about today. And uh, if you want uh, more information, just uh, log on to Apprenticeship uh, nhapprenticeshipnh.com and uh, you will learn more and you can get more information there and find out all you need to know. Becky Lewis, Director of Workforce Development at Community College System of New Hampshire. Thanks for being with us today.
2: Thanks for having me, Ken.
0: It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. News and talk around the clock. We'll be right back. Don't you dare touch that dial. Is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 1039 FM in the capital region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond? News and talk around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And uh, joining us right now is the Director of Research and Development at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, and on Facebook as well, Anna Brown. Anna, how are you this morning?
3: Oh, I'm a little short on sleep after the primary election last night, but I'm I'm doing good. Gosh, those were some really hair-tight results that we saw last night.
0: Yeah, we we really did. Uh, so what what are some of your uh, initial reactions to uh, what did take place?
3: Well, we definitely saw that those margin of undecided voters in the polls that we saw in August made a big difference when it came to the final results because originally it looked like George Burns had a really large, Robert Burns, excuse me, had a really large lead over Hansel, but there was uh, in the second congressional district. But then it became such a hair-tight race, and it was only early this morning that Hansel finally said, okay, I'm conceding the race, we're going to unite behind Burns, and he'll be our nominee. And then the story with Caroline Levitt is also really surging late in the polls, because for the past few weeks of August, it was looking, you know, tight between her and Mowers. You know, she had been behind Mowers for a long time, but she surged quite ahead, and that was actually the first federal race to get called last night on the Republican side of the ticket. And then when we're looking to the U.S. Senate, I think that one of the most interesting developments was the timing of Senator Lindsey Graham's announcement that he is going to sponsor a bill that would ban abortion after 15 weeks. So General John Bolduc, who has now won the nomination for the U.S. Senate in New Hampshire, was asked, Would you support this bill or not? And there is a video of him saying, I would lean against the bill because I do think this is a state's rights issue. But I imagine that this issue is going to come up again and again in his campaign going forward. And we know that he's been criticized sometimes for for speaking and then having going back and saying, oh, that's not exactly what I meant. I'd like to rephrase. So it'll be interesting to see how that position is staked out and also how Burns and Levitt respond to the inevitable questions that they're going to get about
1: how
0: they would vote for a 15-week abortion ban. Well, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Levitt, a first-time candidate for any office, just, what, 25 years old, not uh, that far removed from uh, her days at uh, St. Anselm College. And uh, she won, you know, rather resoundingly by about uh, nine-plus percentage points over, I I would have to think, the more well-known candidate, Matt Mowers.
3: One has to wonder as well if the large negative campaigning that poured in against Caroline Levitt actually backfired. There was significant out of state money that was generally supportive of Maurer's, but what we saw in New Hampshire was an abundance of text, video ads, and paper flyers that all portrayed Caroline Levitt as, based on what I saw, they accused her of being immature. They accused her of actually being pro-choice as opposed, and just saying she's pro-life. They accused her of um, supporting Dr. Fauci and, and, you know, basically walking back COVID-19 positions that she had had. So really, across the board, all sorts of attacks levied against her. And like I said, it, it obviously didn't stick. And so one has to wonder if it did backfire against Maurs.
0: Uh, why don't you think Mowers had uh, as much traction as some people thought he would uh, going into this election?
3: It's interesting because he did have a, this whole two years. He, he was the nominee in 2020. So he had two years to build support, including name recognition, which is big in New Hampshire elections, honestly. Yeah. I, yeah. A lot of voters, it just comes down to do they know the names or not. And he no shortage of outside money as well coming in. So, I think when we are looking at, okay, what were those big differences? I think that, first of all, Caroline Levitt is a very much more compelling candidate. She's a much more dynamic speaker than Matt Mowers. So, it's possible that people watching the debate sort of Matt Mowers fades in their memory, whereas Caroline Levitt seems like more of a fighter, more of an active, interesting candidate. I also think it's possible, like I said, that the negative advertising did backfire on Mowers.
0: Yeah, it it apparently did, uh, as uh, Caroline Levitt uh, uh, made her—well, it wasn't quite an acceptance speech uh, late last night, but uh, it it actually turned out to be, whereas Mowers uh, reportedly uh, left his post-election gathering and uh, did not address his supporters uh, on Tuesday night.
3: Yes, I saw the very sad pictures on Twitter of an empty empty election night party. pretty much most people had left, including Mauer. And you know, he may have been getting called early from representatives that he had at the polls. so he may have known the results really before they were official. but it''s, it's I mean, it's it's got to hurt when you've been campaigning basically since 2020. And then and we're leading in the polls right up until the last minute when Caroline Levitt surged. So but oh, the other factor that we have to wonder about now is an issue that came up several months ago, pretty early in the primary election for New Hampshire standards. And that was the issue of Matt Mowers did vote in the presidential primary in New Jersey and then also in New Hampshire. And so there was the the accusation of voter fraud there. And he was never charged with anything because these were different primaries on different dates. And he said that he had different residences at those times. But nonetheless, it's possible that that lingered and may have brought him down at the last minute.
0: Yeah, well, whatever it was, uh, it was uh, you know a solid victory for uh, Caroline Levitt by uh, you know right now more than nine percentage points, and and the campaign of uh, Gail Huff Brown, uh, former uh, Boston TV reporter for uh, many years, and the wife of uh, Scott Brown, uh, it, it, that, that candidacy really never seemed to resonate for some reason.
3: We are seeing in the primary results in New Hampshire. That the farther right, more firebrand, sort of Trump brand candidates have won. And I think that when you look at Gail Huff Brown, she had less of that firebrand personality. She was very clear in the debates, don't ever call me a liberal. I've been called many things, don't ever call me a liberal. You know, she was saying, I'm a Republican, I'm conservative. But she also did talk about, use the word choice in some of her campaign ads and was definitely seen in that field as a more moderate candidate. And so I think that when you look at the primary system, yes, the more fringe party voters, the people farther to the right, farther to the left, are the most likely to show up at the polls. And so therefore they do tend to push the nominees farther right or farther left. And we're certainly seeing that in New Hampshire, but what remains to be seen is if these farther right candidates are going to be able to win over the large number of independent or undeclared voters in New Hampshire who last time around chose Joe Biden over Donald Trump last time around shows the entire Democratic Federal Delegation so this is you know these candidates who are running farther right campaigns I think will be facing a little bit of an uphill battle
0: and of course uh, we mentioned the uh, the Senate primary the Republican uh, Senate primary uh, to take on uh, Maggie Hassan uh, in November and uh, Don Bolduck, uh, the the winner in that one, but uh, by a, a very slim margin over Senate uh, President Chuck Morse.
3: This is another one that I was watching late, late into the night, or rather I should say early into the morning today,
0: yeah.
1: because
3: it was so close and it was that matter of watching individual towns coming in and then saying, all right, would you suspect that this would be more of a Morse town or more of a Bolduck town? Did you see another candidate come in, maybe act as a spoiler? So, for example, in Londonderry, Kevin Smith performed very, very well. So There was the speculation. Kevin Smith, of course, is the former town manager in Londonderry, so there's the speculation, right, who does that draw away from? Does that draw away from Bolduc or does that draw away from Morse? But we did see Morse concede, which I think is interesting because I thought that there was maybe going to be a recount in that race um, because we know that Governor Sununu had thrown his weight behind Chuck Morse he's definitely put him forward as the candidate who is most likely to beat Maggie Hassan, as he said. So now we have general Don Bolduc and he has been running for several years now because he did also have a campaign in 2020. So I think he's definitely built up name recognition in New Hampshire. He does have a very strong following. Uh, I think perhaps we're going to be, I will be interested to see as well. Will he get a Donald Trump endorsement or not? Because typically We've seen that Donald Trump comes in and he likes to choose winners. I don't know if a Trump endorsement might actually hurt Don Bolduc in New Hampshire. And they've had a a somewhat strange relationship because Bolduc has been critical of Trump in the past.
0: What what does your instinct, what does your gut tell you, Anna? Do you think Trump will endorse uh, General Bolduc?
3: I don't think so. I, I think that Trump will probably stay out of this race because he has that little bit of bad blood between him and Bolduck. And then also, you know, as I said, a Trump endorsement might only boost passing in New Hampshire since Trump did not carry the state in 2020.
0: Will he endorse Caroline Levitt in her race against Chris Pappas?
3: I think that would be more of a, a likely scenario because we have also seen Caroline Levitt choose to pull in other far-right icons in, in these final weeks of the race. So, for example, Congresswoman Lauren Bobbert, Senator Ted Cruz. We've seen Matt Gaetz down in Florida give her shout-outs on Twitter. So she is deeply embedded in that Donald Trump wing of the party and so, yes, I, uh, she worked under Kelly McEnany in the Trump administration. Right. so she does yeah. have the connections
0: there. Very good, Anna. Uh, stay with us if you can, and uh, we'll have another segment coming up right after these words. Anna Brown with us, director of research and development at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, and on Facebook as well. We will be right back. Kale and Company Live, WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Kale and Company Live, post. Primary Edition, and so pleased to have uh, Anna Brown with us. Anna, the uh, director of research and development at Citizens Count, citizenscount.org, and uh, on Facebook as well. And uh, Anna, so now we know what the matchups are going to be. Uh, uh, last night, uh, as I went to bed, uh, uh, George Hansel was uh, in the lead in the second district race, and, and then uh, Bob Burns uh, caught him. Uh, where did uh, where did Burns uh, catch him? In what uh, area of the state?
3: So definitely we saw that it was a real spread for uh, Hansel and Bob Burns in terms of real sprinklings around the state. You know, you look at the map in District 1, and it was Caroline Levitt almost across the board winning every municipality. But then you go to District 2, and there's a lot of diversity. I will say that Hansel obviously won big in uh, urban areas such as Keene, around Concord, because unsurprisingly, he's the mayor of Keene. He's going to have connections there. And then Bob Burns came in in some more rural areas in particular.
0: So it'll be uh, Bob Burns against Annie Custer going for her sixth term in the House of Representatives. How do you see uh, that matchup playing out?
3: Well, it's really interesting because we did see out-of-state Democratic money actually spending to boost Bob Burns in the 2nd District primary. And this was because they viewed him as a less threatening candidate Hansel. So we're in this situation now where Democrats have in a way picked Bob Burns because they think that's great. So I will say that the district two does tend to lean liberal. It leans Democrat. Annie Custer has been in office for several terms thanks to support in the Cesprate district. So I you know, I, I would be surprised if Bob Burns was able to carry the second district. I think that of all the federal Republican candidates, he is going to have the most difficult race by far.
0: And uh, in District 1, we know now that uh, Caroline Levitt will be opposing uh, Chris Pappas uh, in November. And uh, how do you see that one?
3: That one is going to be tighter. That one's going to be hard to call, I think, especially because we've seen the news cycle is so rapid over the past two years. What else can happen between now and a general election? We have two months for any sort of weird developments to occur. Gosh, look at last night, Senator Lindsey Graham announcing his proposal for a federal abortion ban at 15 weeks. A few weeks ago, Republicans in the Senate were saying, such as Mitch McConnell, were saying, oh, it's a state issue, we're pretty much going to leave it alone. Now all of those Republican candidates are going to be pushed to get on the record about this very specific proposal. So I will say that Caroline Levitt is gambling a little bit insofar as she is doubling down on that Make America Great Again Trump brand. She is really going hard on that. You know, she talks a lot about socialism in Congress. She talks a lot about the (laughs) swamp. These are all words that we have heard come out of Donald Trump's mouth. But as I said, he did not carry the state in 2020. And I, you know, hesitate if that sort of rhetoric is going to resonate with New Hampshire's moderate, independent, undeclared middle. And that's who Maggie Hassan is already choosing to play to in all of her ads. You know, she talks about, I've been rated a a super bipartisan senator. I'm happy to work across the aisle. So we have (laughs) basically Caroline Levitt. I think, is betting that that middle undeclared voters are going to be so fed up with the Democratic Party, for example, because of inflation. We all know that that's the huge talking point right now. That is a really hot issue for voters that they will vote for the Republican Party. But I don't know if her viewpoints would necessarily resonate with a lot of those more moderate voters.
0: So in both of the races for the House in District 1 and District 2, do you see inflation as being the number one topic?
3: I think that polls are showing that that is definitely a number one topic, but we've also seen in the past month that gas prices have eased a little bit. And I think he, it's, it's silly, but that small amount of relief at the pump sometimes can be enough people have a short attention span that they start thinking about other things. Maybe so long as their grocery bill isn't still rock, skyrocketing, they're starting to get used to it. So I think that inflation is incredibly, incredibly important going into this election. But I'm not sure that it will be the deciding factor for voters at this point.
0: What do you think could be? Uh, Could it be the abortion issue?
3: I think abortion, as I said, the Lindsey Graham proposal definitely changes the dynamic a little bit because Republicans were basically trying to deflect any questions about that, saying, I'm not going to talk about hypothetical legislation and this is a state issue. Well, now there is legislation and it is at the federal level. It would not be decided by the state. So I think that that potentially could sway voters. I think that we have seen other elections around the country have seen very high turnout from women voters in particular, who are apparently galvanized by this issue. So it could potentially be that sort of issue. I think that we are also seeing, and this was touched upon in some of the debates over the past few weeks, some other issues that are perhaps Related to inflation, but not directly related, are starting to creep in. So, for example, the housing affordability crisis, right? So that was that's very hard to solve at the federal level. I think that that is something that's probably more of a state issue. In many cases, it's not a local issue, looking at zoning laws. But nonetheless, I feel like maybe those other issues are going to start to creep up for voters. And let's not forget, we do are going to have a few debates between all of the candidates in all of the races. So you never know, (laughs) is someone going to have a huge blunder or are they really going to obliterate their opponent? We saw in 2020 in the debates between Hillary Clinton and Donald, excuse me, 2016 between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, there were a couple really key moments where I think that Donald Trump seemed to be controlling the debate, Um, maybe slightly chaotic, but definitely people had that view that he was a very strong debater in some cases whereas also Hillary Clinton had some moments that really seemed to bring her down, for example, the comment about deplorables. So it will also be how these candidates hold themselves out to the public over the, the coming weeks and months.
0: And, of course, there's the uh, the big Senate race, which could sway the uh, balance of power in the U.S. Senate, Don Bolduck and uh, Maggie Hassan, and uh, I would have to think – uh, Anna, that uh, Maggie Hassan has a much bigger uh, war chest, as it were, than uh, General Bolduck. That, uh, how, how do you see that race? I, I mean, uh, it, it's a huge race. I mean, it's going to get a lot of national attention. Will the uh, Republicans, uh, uh, you know, back General Bolduck to the extent that, uh, you know, Hassan is being backed by the Democrats?
3: I think that definitely New Hampshire is going to be targeted by outside out-of-state money very, very much, very much in the upcoming U.S. Senate race because this is seen as a seat that could potentially flip since New Hampshire does have such a large population of independent voters who can swing one way or the other depending on what sort of year it is. That being said, I think that Maggie Hassan does come in, obviously, with a huge war chest with many more years of name recognition in New Hampshire. So I'm going to throw out a theory here. I think that we saw in District 1 the, the huge amounts of outside spending against Caroline Levitt may have actually boosted her, maybe, maybe turned off voters. And so if we see a ton of outside money pouring in again that are trying to take down Don Buldock, could that backfire? It's also true that Don Buldock has spent the last two years in New Hampshire actively campaigning, going out to New Hampshire voters on the ground and and you know, shaking hands, doing parades, whatever it is. And so is it also possible that his, his ground game could really help in this election? I, I do think it's another one where we're going to see debates playing a big role, potentially. We have seen General Don Bolduc in the past say some comments that have come back to haunt him a little bit, whether talking about, you know, sort of, hi, he I forget the exact phrasing, but he had a sort of hypothetical about, do we even need the FBI, which then he walked that back. He talked at one point about maybe, you know, some special forces or something like that on the ground in Ukraine, and people were saying, you want boots on the ground in Ukraine. He had to walk that one back, whereas Maggie Hassan has a lot more experience on that debate stage as a more polished candidate. So that could also be tricky for him to navigate.
0: And then, of course, uh, Governor Sununu won 80 percent of the uh, primary vote uh, yesterday, uh, as expected, and will uh, be going up against Dr. Tom Sherman uh, in uh, November. But uh, Sununu uh, recently said that uh, Don Bolduck is not a serious candidate. How How is that going to play out during the course of, of the next couple of months?
3: Governor Sununu has always been great at going to the unity breakfast after a primary and really embracing that, you know, We're going to we're going to take this Republican ticket forward and we're going to win. He was on the phone with Donald Trump a few weeks ago talking about possible endorsements in the U.S. Senate race. And and even though a few months ago we knew that he was roasting Donald Trump down in Washington, D.C., and he called him crazy. So there I don't think, you know, Governor Sununu will have any trouble pivoting to support the Republican nominees, even though he has made clear that uh, he, he had his preferences, and it's interesting because he—it was a little bit of a proxy race between Sununu Republicanism and Trump Republicanism in both the U.S. Senate race, where Sununu endorsed Chuck Morse, and then also in District Two, where Sununu endorsed Hansel against Bob Burns. He lost in both of those cases. If you're looking at it as sort of that proxy, the Sununu brand did not succeed. So I think it's also true that regardless of how these races shake out, how involved Governor Sununu is, it kind of seems that voters are not terribly concerned about which candidates he's supporting, even though he has a lot of support himself.
0: Anna Brown, always great to have you with us, and uh, hope to have you back again uh, real soon throughout the course uh, of the next uh, couple of months. Anna Brown, the uh, director of uh, Research and Development, citizens count, CitizensCount.org. Find them on Facebook as well. Anna, thanks so much. We appreciate it. You got it, Ken. All right. And that'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company Live here on WKXL. If you missed any of this program or just would like to hear it again, we'll play it for you tonight just after 7 o'clock. Join us tomorrow for something completely different, folks. Something like you've never heard on this show before, but you'll enjoy it. Tomorrow, 8 a.m., right here, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com.